Broadcasting from the beautiful Hill Country in Texas, this is OneRadioNetwork.com. Well, welcome back. Uh, good good afternoon. Oh, it's afternoon. Uh, strange for me. A little bit afternoon, Central Time. Patrick Timpone. Hi there. And as I told you, we'd be back. We took a little break here after Martin Armstrong. And we're going to dig into this whole China and uh, Russia thing some more. It's good to understand as long as uh, people are doing the war thing and we're paying for it, we might as well try to understand what the what the heck is going on. Tomorrow, uh, we have a fellow out of uh, Switzerland. Uh, his uh, website is Gold Money. So uh, there's some curious things going on, as Martin told you, uh, with Russia and uh, now selling his goods, his oil, his gold, his gas and weed and stuff for gold and or ruble and or Bitcoin, which is going to have some interesting things going on in the world of, um, of uh, the dollar and, and gold and stuff. Scott Horton is here. Scott is in Austin area. I've known Scott for 25 years. My goodness. Scott and I used to work uh, together at KLBJ Radio in Austin uh, before we both retired from there with no pension. Scott is director of this Libertarian Institute. He is editorial director of antiwar.com, host of Antiwar Radio. It's in Los Angeles kind of a thing. And he's author of a few books. We talked to him a while back, 2021. Enough already. Let's end the war on terrorism. 2017 book, uh, The Fool's Errand, Time to uh, End the War in Afghanistan. He's an anti-war guy. An editor of the 2019 book, The Great Ron Paul. He's done thousands of interviews since uh, uh, 2004. I mean, a lot. More than probably I have. I've done a lot since 1968. But uh, uh, what's cool, too, is Scott has talked to a lot of very interesting people that I have never heard of, uh, lots. And that means that he probably has some information that I've never heard of, and that's why we're invited him on. Mr. Horton, uh, good afternoon. How are you? I'm doing great, Patrick. It's so great to be back with you again. And man, I gotta say, you have got the best radio voice. I'm just so jealous of you. You just sound so awesome on that microphone. <laughs> and I just, I miss you. It's great to be back well, with you. Well, thank you very much. I have a, they say as I have a face for radio, Scott, as they, as they used to say. Uh, I, I think you're a very handsome man. Too. Well, you kind of you want to go out later and we'll dance. No, just kidding. No, um, it's, not that handsome. Scott Horton. So, um, he, you know, I when I knew you in, in 1997, right? When we worked together, KLBJ. Uh, yeah, something like that. 1997. Uh, it, it might have been a little you, later. Than well, that. you were an, you were kind of an anti-war guy back then, weren't you? Oh yeah. Well, obviously, it's all a bunch of crap, right? Of you know that. Of course, it is. But you and I, we took a shine to each other immediately, probably over this issue, right? Like, who could possibly believe in this stuff? Not Patrick Timponi, that's no, for sure. No, not not us, not us, boy. I'd sure yeah. love to hear a little bit of you and I on KLBJ Radio. Wouldn't that be something? But now I don't think it'll ever happen anymore, boy. Those days are gone, Mr. Scott. They are. Yeah. They are gone. Great show on there, man. Oh, yeah, we had fun. Yeah, we had fun. You do a show out in, uh, is it Los Angeles? Uh, Los Angeles? Yeah, I do. Uh, I'm on KPFK, which is the Pacifica station out there. It's uh-huh. actually the biggest FM transmitter west of the Mississippi River. Whoa. Um, 90.7 yeah. FM in LA. And then they got repeaters too. So it's I'm on uh, my shows on Sunday mornings. I'm on in San Diego and up to Santa Barbara and uh, out you know, kind of halfway to Palm Springs or whatever. So pretty much all Southern California Look at is you. covered by the show every Sunday really? morning. And uh, you yeah. talk about, uh, 
your your passions of geopolitics and war and stuff. Yeah, and you know it's a very leftist station, and I'm like, oh, <laughs> I'm surprised out in California, great white, right? <laughs> married, libertarian, capitalist type. So, I um, my focus is always just on the kind of narrow topics. We don't talk about hard money and stuff like that. Right. We, do, we just keep the focus on debunking the latest, you know, narrative or or war propaganda. And um, yeah. and so I fit in there pretty well. I, you know, I've been on there for 11, 12 years, something like that now, and they haven't kicked me off yet, so it's going all right. Well, good for you. Um, so what would, what would you say to our listeners? We have listeners around the world. Um, what would be the biggest uh, lie right now about what's going on in Ukraine, in your opinion, right at mm. the top of the list? Well, look... Uh, I think as people are so familiar with this happens over and over again, right? That all American foreign policy conflicts end up turning into these kind of uh, ridiculous morality plays where, of course, whoever they're pointing their finger at, Saddam Hussein or Muammar Gaddafi or Bashar al-Assad or Vladimir Putin, they have their negative points, right? These are some bad guys, the Ayatollah in Iran too. And so... But then the idea is that America is just Christopher Reeve as Superman, right? Hmm. Essentially, Jesus or Luke Skywalker, sort of the innocent savior who comes to rescue the poor people who are being hurt by the bad guy. And, you know, frankly, you know, you asked me why I'm like this. I saw them pull this off right in front of all of our eyes, just 100 miles up the road from here, Patrick and Waco in 1993, yes, sir. where they essentially turned this little plot of land on the, on the northeast side of this small Texas town out in the prairie into a foreign country. And they made David Koresh into Adolf Hitler or at least Saddam Hussein. And he's crazy, crazy, so we can't negotiate with him. And he's mean, terribly mean to his own people. And he's got these illegal weapons, which makes him a threat to us. Hmm. So we got to go in there and get them. And then what they do? They went in there and they exterminated him. They sent the Army Delta Force. Bill Clinton authorized the Army Combat Applications Group to go in there and slaughter those people. And then they called it a suicide. And they got away with fooling a lot of people with that, but a lot of us not. And then look, that in that the exact same script they played against Saddam Hussein in 2003 yes, yeah. was that, look, man, this guy's crazy. So we can't negotiate with him. Even though our Secretary of State is Colin Powell, the former four-star general. Nah, he's not tough enough to deal with this Saddam Hussein. He's just too crazy. And he's and he's terrible, terrible to his own people. So if we really love them, we're going to go over there and explode them because of how much we care about them. And he's got these illegal weapons, supposedly, which makes him a threat. And it's just the exact same Waco script they just played again to lie us into that war. And you can just see how they're jerking your chain. And you're supposed to believe that W. Bush is this, you know, very prayerful, holy Methodist man who could only ever act out of the kindest of motives. And, and he's going up against pure evil. It's essentially kind of replaying the morality play of World War II. That look, it was us against Hitler, the, the most brutal dictator ever. So brutal, we allied with Stalin against him, right? And, and then, but that's the same thing we just do over and over and over again. But people don't really recognize, right? Hmm. That at the end of the Second World War, America became the world empire. And America is not the, you know, reluctant cowboy who only gets in the fight when he absolutely has to. America is the hegemon. America is essentially in the role of the British empire, if not the Soviet one. And, and, and in fact, that's a good analogy because the Brits always claimed it was for everybody's own good too. 
We're just trying to civilize you and teach you to speak the proper king's English and to have black robe judges and a parliamentary system and a rule of law in the British Anglo style. And so that's why we kill so many of you and subjugate you and, and make you do what we say all around the world. I'm sure you've seen the map of all the countries in the world that Britain has invaded. And there's only like four that they haven't, you know, and there's out of 192 <laughs> nations in the world. And, and so... Yeah. And it, it was all about because the queen knows what's best for you. You know, that was always the thing. It's the same thing with the Americans. Is it is, a, it is an iron-fisted empire. It's killed. You know, the American government and is responsible for not absolutely directly, directly in all cases like immediate gunshots, but overall from the chaos of the wars, is responsible for something like 2 million deaths over the last 20 years really? from the war on terrorists. That's how bad it is, yeah. yeah. I mean, you just, off the top of your head, it's you know approximately a million from Iraq War II, and then you got a, probably 100,000 or something from Libya, maybe a little more than that. Surely half a million minimum in the war in Syria, and then Iraq War III to destroy the Islamic Caliphate that the dirty war in Syria ended up leading to. And then you have the war in Yemen, which, man, I'll tell you what, you know, I don't think we really know yet, but I'll bet you money, you know, metal money, that when the war in Yemen is over and they do the real excess death count, you're going to find it's more than a million people have died of this thing. Really? It's just absolutely out of control. So we're from here. And as you know, the old Bill Hicks joke, you watch CNN and it's all this chaos. And then outside and he does the bird chirping, which I can't imitate, but he does a beautiful bird chirping. And it's a nice spring day look outside right now it's beautiful out right um and and everybody that you know is decent and not ruthless and it just doesn't seem right that america is the instigator probably not right um it's Dave just hard Smith for people to believe about, right it's hard for people to believe yeah. because that's right it, it, it is so um the, these neocons or whoever they are who are running the show what do you think their end game is for Putin? Do they do they really think that they can overthrow this guy and install a new Russian thing? What do you think? I mean, you you talk to some pretty cool people. I think so. Yes. Yeah. I, now I, I'm not saying that they have a reasonable plan to do that. Yeah. And I think they must know that they really are risking nuclear war in that case. You think they it's are? It's the kind of thing where how could you overthrow him without overthrowing the whole regime? Right. You're just not going to be able to do that. He's got the power to stay in power. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and even if you got rid of him, is it obvious that somebody more or less like him, only a little bit more accommodating would take power? Or might someone who's far to the right of him and a hardcore Russian nationalist come to power, someone who we really have to deal with? You know, they call Putin Hitler all the time, but maybe he's Hindenburg and maybe we should be terrified of who comes after him uh, if we're, you know, working that hard to destabilize, you know, what's going on in that point. country. Martin that, Armstrong brought I, that up this morning. You know, he said, oh, yeah. yeah, he said, well, you don't know who's coming next so you, you kill this yeah. guy. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good and look, point. And, yeah. and so back to like, you yeah. know, your real question about yeah. the, the case with the, the narrative here, what's wrong with the narrative about Russia? This is actually a good kind of analogy. I think everybody knows. I learned this in, in public junior high school, okay? I think this is like the common narrative that everybody agrees upon, that the Allies were way too brutal to Germany in the aftermath of the First World War. 
And that and the resentment from that, the the war reparations, the stripping them of all their territories and such helped lead to the rise of the commies and the Nazis in Germany. And then especially the Nazis in the name of getting revenge for what had happened to them and stopping the commies. Right. And so that's kind of where Nazi Germany came from hmm. was the aftermath of the way that Britain and France, especially with America's help, of course, refused to treat Germany like a good sport after the end of the First World War and instead just kept kicking them while they're down and kicking them while they're down. And then Hitler rose to power saying, I'm going to set this right. And people believed him that, hey, here's a guy who is clearly (laughs) determined to set this right. And in fact, well, anyway, so no, I, I hear you. That was the narrative. So now look at the metaphor here is with we won the cold war and then instead of treating the russians like a good sport we kept kicking them while they're down and in the bill clinton years they started expanding nato they waged two brutal wars against the serbs who were the russians closest allies uh slavic allies there in the balkans and they sent i'm sure you know this story especially i'm sure andy goss has probably talked to you all about this the harvard boys right larry summers and the guys to go over to do the shock therapy to remake the russian economy but one of them was a guy named jeffrey Sachs, and he really spilled the beans later and said you know they had a plan here's how to privatize the russian economy in a way that I mean, we're talking about a totally communist economy, like a literally Marxist economy where the government owns everything, right? Mm-hmm. Literally. Mm-hmm. So how do you how do you distribute the ownership of these resources? Now, if it was you and me and Ron Paul and Andy Goss went over there <laughs> and tried to figure out the best way to turn communism into capitalism for the greater good of the country of Russia and the people of Russia, we would like make shares of these companies and distribute them to the people. And we would make sure that the courts upheld those shares and their value and have markets where people can trade them and this yeah no what they did was and even according to Sachs, they kicked them while they're down and they came up first they they hyperinflated the currency destroyed the ruble which meant that anyone in the country as your audience is well familiar with this phenomenon right anywhere in the anyone in the country with any capital lost everything oh all of a sudden your entire savings is worthless oops unless you had already bought metal or a factory with it um it's now nothing and you didn't have a chance and what to buy year did they do that history. scott what year did they do that so this is yeah like beginning in 91 92 like as soon as the as soon as well oh, i guess 92 93 like as soon as the soviet union was gone and the red white and blue flag went up which was that was christmas day 1991 just 30 years ago a couple of months ago was wow. the 30th anniversary the final end of the soviet union so as the first thing they did was hyperinflate and destroy the currency and then they came up with these vouchers and loans for shares programs which meant literally seven men and by men throat slitting gangster murderer kgb guys and their friends took over the entire country and those are who we called the oligarchs and this is at the very beginning of the clinton years right so by 1996 the same year that clinton is running for re-election the people want to get rid of boris yeltsin and Bill Clinton then sends over there billions of American tax dollars to bankroll Yeltsin to buy up all his votes for a stuff the ballot box campaign. And they even made a movie about it with Jeff Goldblum called Spinning Boris yeah. about how they just yeah. went over there and meddled in the election and stole the election for Yeltsin to keep him in power. Spinning Boris. And then also, <laughs> go ahead. 
No, no, I, 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 yeah, I, I recall that movie. Yeah, it was a trip. It yeah, was yeah, really interesting. So, right. So, so, so these neocons or these these crazy people, they've been around for a long time. Scott Horton, way back, uh, kind of telling presidents what they want to do, wars and stuff. Well, and it isn't just the neocons. So, no. so when we say neoconservatives, we should be careful because a lot of times that just means a hawk. Okay, but but it's not really right. It, what it really means is it's about one hundred men. And they are essentially the cross between the American Israel lobby and the military industrial complex. Essentially. Okay. That makes sense. You know, the, the, yeah. the old council on foreign relations, which represented the Morgans and then the Rockefeller banking and oil interests, right? These are all waspy wasps in their Brooks brothers suits and all of this kind of thing, right? <laughs> well, they kind of kept Catholics and Jews out. And so it was sort of a social class thing. And this is kind of where libertarianism comes from, too. Libertarianism and neoconservatism were both sort of the brainchild of these Catholic and Jewish intellectuals who are like middle class and upper middle class intellectuals who are interested in these things but aren't born rich on a golf course (laughs) and white enough to be part of the CFR, right? So the libertarians, of course, hate power. So they all moved to Auburn, Alabama to produce you know, economic tracts about why we should all hate government, right? But the neoconservatives, they are the cult of power. So they moved from the democratic first, like the Trotskyite radical left um, to become Reaganites. And part of that was because the the new left in the 1960s were anti-war because of Vietnam and they were pro-black civil rights. The neocons love war and hate black people. And, you know, you can read Norman Podhoritz wrote this great article called My Negro Problem and Ours. And it's it's kind of like hard to get into, but now, essentially, yeah, yeah, we, you know, we, we don't go too deep in those weeds. The but, point is the, the yeah. neocons are kooks, dude. They, they left the radical left or They left the left because the left started getting good on things. Right. The left started <laughs> to hate war. And started to support civil rights for black people. So the neocons ran and joined the and joined the Reagan right. And because they are warmongers first. Now, here's the thing. Lockheed and Raytheon and General Dynamics and all those guys. They're engineers and businessmen, but they're not intellectuals. They needed their own councils on foreign relations to push their own propaganda. This is essentially the liberal conservative split in America. The bankers and the oil men are the liberal establishment and the arms manufacturers and the, and the Israel lobby are the right wing establishment. And, and you know, this even goes back to Quigley, the way he talks about it. Um, and so they hire the neocons. Lockheed hired the Israel lobby to write all their egghead studies to justify why the U.S. government needs to buy Lockheed products. Right. Like that's sort of the whole thing is a racket, just like everything you cover on your show. It's all a racket, Patrick. Wow. So so why did. So now check this out. Speaking of the Council on Foreign <laughs> Relations, in the 1990s, Brent Scowcroft and George Kennan and Paul Nitsa and Bob McNamara and all of the leading grayest of graybeards, as they call them, of the foreign policy establishment, right? The grand poobahs of the Rockefeller think tank, the CFR, they all said, let's not expand NATO. This is a terrible idea. Hmm. We should not do this. When I say Brent Scowcroft, I think you know. That's George H.W. Bush's 
best friend and right-hand man and co-author of his memoirs, National Security Advisor during Bush Sr.'s first term, four-star General Scowcroft. He said, we should not be doing this. Now, did they say because it was a waste of money? No. It's because this is an unnecessary provocation against the Russians. Really? See, here's the thing. Remember, Patrick, when I first knew you, I was much more of like a New World Order kook. And I thought that what was really going on here was it's all about eventually a one world government right. under the United Nations, right? right? And America would be subsumed as just another state in this new global federal republic, essentially. More right? an Alex Jones. Only not so Republican. Of, more of an Alex Jones motif, sort of. That's exactly yeah. right. Okay. So, and, and more from like the John Birchers, really, was right. like where I was getting that stuff. Um, <laughs> and, and it was top, for, for conspiracy theory stuff, it was top quality stuff. And I have to tell you, <laughs> there were people in the Clinton government who did feel that way, uh -huh. right? Like Bill Clinton's roommate, Strobe Talbot, had written an article called The Birth of the Global Nation for Time Magazine. Well, he was one of the guys who was a major influence in Bill Clinton's European policy. So it was not, and they would say while they were expanding NATO, they would float the idea that, hey, maybe we'll bring Russia into NATO. Yeah, sure. Don't worry, Brent Scowcroft. This is not a provocation against Russia. Russia's our friends now. So all we're doing is we're spreading an umbrella of peace and security throughout Europe. Okay? So the Russians should not get upset that we're threatening them because we're not. But Brent Scowcroft and all the other smartest guys said, yes, you are. And unless you're making Russia a full partner in NATO, then you are pointing a spear at their throat and they're going to freak out and we're going to have a real problem. Mm. That was the argument then. Now, the reason that the grayest gray beards lost this fight was because Lockheed spent a bunch of money on hiring a bunch of neoconservative hawks to push this policy. So where you and I thought that the Whoa. Rockefellers always win and that the Council on Foreign Relations gets what they want, that wasn't what was happening. What was happening instead was the military industrial complex was deciding on American nationalism and militarism uber alice. And that's going and, on today big time. And that's going on to this day. And, and this was clear, this wow. should have been clear to me as really during Bosnia, but at least that was kind of a UN New World Order job. But when Bill Clinton bombed Kosovo in 99, well, he bombed Serbia to break off Kosovo for the Albanians at that time. We should have known then that obviously we're not bringing Russia into NATO and making them a partner in this one world white army of the North as the sort of army of the UN world government. That was the conspiracy theory. That was the new world order was we'd have a one world army and all of this. Well, Obviously, Bill Clinton is bombing Serbia over Boris Yeltsin's dead body. There's nothing he can do about it, but he's being absolutely humiliated. And the entire national security state in Russia is just as mad as can be because here Clinton is saying, yes, we're expanding NATO right into your uh, hemisphere, but it's not a military alliance really anymore. It's just a social club and a peace and a security arrangement. Well, here they are launching an unprovoked war. In the case of a civil war, not one country has invaded another, but it's a civil war. And NATO is just intervening and without a United Nations resolution because Russia could veto it in the UN. So Bill Clinton just did it anyway. Now, the New World Order died that day. If it ever was going to really be a project to create a one world government with America and Russia allied together at the end of the Cold War to go to war against who? China or Islamic South Asia next. That did not happen. And look who was driving 
Dick Cheney was driving in the matter just a couple years after that. And Dick Cheney is not a one worlder man. Dick Cheney is just a right wing American nationalist and militarist and corporatist, right? Corrupt welfare monger for <laughs> corporations. Well and so their policy was not it was not what what G. Edward Griffin had said, the grand design for a one world order. That that's yes, wasn't it's it. over and dead. It's uh, just American imperialism. Scott uh, Horton is with us, as you can tell. Man, this fellow reads some stuff and talks to some people. Patrick Timpone, OneRadioNetwork.com, 888-663-6386 if you want to talk to Scott or just email Patrick at OneRadioNetwork.com. So, well, okay, so let me let me here get a little uh, focus in on. So, Scott Horton, we hear a lot about Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum and running this whole COVID scam and all of that. We've talked about it for a couple of years. In your opinion and research, how do you, how do you think he is playing in to this uh, Russia thing? Uh, I really don't know. You That's don't, a good okay, question. I don't know. You know, I have okay. the guy's book, but I just haven't read it yet. Okay. Uh, so. And, um, you know, I think... In fact, I'm glad you kind of bring that up because even though I don't know that much about him, mm-hmm. I think I know enough to sort of like characterize what I sort of um, his role in the world and how it fits with sort of what I was just saying mm-hmm. that like this is what's left of the new world order, right? Is this sort of this g- global g- governance as they call it. In other words, not truly empowering a federal government under the UN's authority, but simply sort of doing it all, all by way of you know unofficial meetings like the world economic forum by building just consensus among the super rich throughout the world that gotcha. this is the way that we want everything to go yeah and to them you know and as a libertarian property rights is i'm not uh, the first in line to defend democracy but i might be second in line to defend democracy against these people you know thomas jefferson said that you know the, the masses surely are the more ignorant and yet still the best repository of the power. Ooh. You know, how can you trust just a few born rich people? They're just men too. And if, I you got know, goosebumps when it, you said that, man. I got goosebumps yeah. when you said What a great quote, isn't it? Yeah, yeah so yeah. Yeah, Madison said, if man is not fit to govern himself, how can he be fit to govern somebody else? Right? Like, this is why we're libertarians, yeah. right? So, um, I got you. Yeah, yeah. So, 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 so you know, they, to them, democracy is a crisis. To them, if we can really vote and have our way, well, we might have a different way than them. And to them, they would rather just build consensus among the elite and let all of that trickle down into legislation and the way our lives are lived through different economic and political power. Yes, and so, it's essentially, it's a class war on a global level between the people who own everything and everybody else and sort of just like with nato expansion patrick it's it's on the name of really we know what's best for you and we know what's best for the world we're just spreading peace and security and good health and whatever you know good economics and whatever their excuses now there's nothing good about their security arrangements there's nothing good about their health policy there's nothing good about their economic policy but that's what's good yeah. about being governments, right? Is that they're they're monopolies and they're not really accountable, so, so they can continue. On. So this beam of that uh, Russia or Putin's been trying to just to get the United States to agree not to do the NATO thing in Ukraine is that true? <laughs> and and I mean, is that a true story? Yes. I, well, okay. So uh, yes, I think essentially um, the Russian demands here are 
rational demands. I am not saying at all, and I don't want anyone to misunderstand me, that Russia's actions in invading Ukraine were justified or reasonable. Because I don't think that that's a lot true. Of people there must have killed. been a hundred yeah. different alternatives yeah. that he could have chosen besides war. So I'm not justifying what he did. But I am telling you that his litany of excuses were all pretty good, like arguments, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. um, he even accused Bill Clinton of backing the Chechen terrorists at the turn of the century, which is true. And which is, you know, should be one of the world's greatest scandals and was not. In fact, America was paying for the war against the Chechens at the same time the CIA and the Saudis were back in the Al-Qaeda terrorists there fighting against the Russians in that war. So, so and, do you think it's true then? It was a then, brutal war. So you think it's true then that Putin, he just wants to get Zelensky out, install his own people, get some of the reasons? No, I, I, actually, I think not. What do you think he no, wants? No, I mean, um, honestly, in fact... Now, this is really preliminary, but as we're going to press here today, Patrick, mm. you know, they're having talks in Turkey, yeah. and it seems like there's some progress being made. And I'll tell you what, in just the past couple of few days, so what, it's the 28th it's now, right? So right? Yeah. The, the last four or five days, Biden and Zelensky both have indicated that, yeah, well, we might have to give up on some issues of territory, which means recognize Russian sovereignty over the Crimean Peninsula and recognize the so-called independence under Russian peacekeepers of the Donbass. So hmm. if the president of both countries, Ukraine and the United States, are willing to say, yeah, that might have to happen, then yeah, good. Go ahead and agree to that right now. And if they're both, now I don't know if Biden has said this or his government has said this, but Zelensky has said, yeah, we might have to accept neutrality. What the hell, NATO's not coming to help us anyway. And so, yeah, we might as well. Well, yeah, and you should have signed that on the dotted line in blood if you had to back five weeks ago, and this never would have happened. Yeah, exactly. You know? Well, doesn't that argue, make the argument then that there's some forces, some people, whoever's controlling Biden or NATO, that they want this thing. They wanted it, yes. and they still want it today. I'm afraid that that's right. Yeah, and it listen, sounds I have to like tell you, it, man, doesn't it, Scott? I, I got to tell you, so... I thought that the Russians weren't going to invade. I thought that Putin was definitely playing hardball and coercive diplomacy here uh -huh. by building up his forces. But his demands, if we go back to last December, his proposed treaty was totally reasonable. Uh, certainly for a document to sit down at a table over and begin negotiations over. Absolutely. Most of his demands are just totally, you could sign off on six out of 10 and let's quibble about the other four or something, <laughs> right? Really? Like you could have had yeah. a real negotiation there. And the Biden people refused to deal. And I think I sh should have recognized uh, sooner how obstinate the Biden government was being. Mm. Because Biden did mm. say, Patrick, we're not going to bring Ukraine into NATO. And he did say, missiles? We're not putting missiles into Ukraine, which I think was a credible denial. But like, at least for now, nobody's talking about bringing Ukraine into NATO. Germany wouldn't let us anyway because it's an unreasonable provocation to the Russians. Mm. And so... In, and then even if they did, we're not putting nuclear missiles in Ukraine. I mean, that'd be crazy, right? And, and so then Putin is saying, look, just sign the thing, man. Put it in writing. Donald Trump only tore up the Intermediate Nuclear Forces Treaty that kept medium-range missiles out of Europe a year and a half ago. And he's the root of all evil and everything. So just let's get back in the treaty, right? Biden said no. He goes, look, you say you're not going to bring Ukraine into NATO. So just sign a treaty that says you're not going to bring Ukraine into NATO. We'll just make Ukraine neutral, and then everybody can take a deep breath, and it'll be fine. 
And Biden says, no, because that would be letting you, Russia, close the door on NATO membership. And NATO has a sacred principle. We can never let anyone else close our door of membership to a third country because think of how bad that would be. Well, but again, Biden himself said, we're not bringing Ukraine into NATO. So just sign it, right? And he wouldn't do that. And that Putin said he was concerned about missiles in Poland and Romania that are fired from dual-use launchers that could hold Tomahawk missiles that could deliver H-bombs. He's, and so Biden did say, well, we could set up an inspection regime there and let your guys come in. We're not tipping those with H-bombs, I promise. There's no Tomahawk missiles there. Strictly defensive missiles, anti-ballistic missiles, right? So in other words, there really was room enough for Biden to see a path to peace here to avoid conflict. And on top of that, the current director of the CIA is a guy named William Burns, who is not a lifelong spy. He's a lifelong diplomat from the State Department. And believe me, Biden could have chosen a lot worse people to be the head of the CIA than this guy, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And now this guy, he wrote this great memo that we know from the WikiLeaks. Um, Julian Assange, you know, rotting to death in solitary confinement right now for bringing this truth to us. But it's in the WikiLeaks, um, thanks to him, that Burns wrote a memo to Condi Rice on February the 1st, 2008. It's called Nyet Means Nyet. And he says, I just met with Sergei Lavrov, very polite foreign minister of Russia, who told me in no uncertain terms, although very politely, that you may not bring Ukraine into NATO. And if you try, uh, you know, really try to do so, we will be forced to essentially invade and conquer that country in order to prevent that from happening. Or at least we will will be forced to forcefully intervene in there in a way to make sure that that does not happen. 15 years ago. And so... 15 years. Yeah. That's right. So I thought... Well, Burns is going to help Biden negotiate his way through this, even if Anthony Blinken is a ridiculous boob. Maybe the head of the CIA will be able to guide Biden through this. And, and I just was after all we've been through and after all of my cynicism for all of these years, I still for some reason was just short circuiting on like because they don't want to really have a war in Ukraine right on Russia's border with America this involved that could really lead to a nuclear war man mm-hmm. you can't do that and I just that was like my un I, did, I wasn't even thinking that all the way out in English I just had that as my stupid wrong premise <laughs> when no you're right they wanted this war to happen and after it did happen I finally went back and you know because I wrote this book about the Middle East and all this so I'm always fighting the last war here so I finally went back <laughs> back and really did a bunch of research and read from November and December and January last. So many stories in the Washington Post, especially by David Ignatius, who is the CIA spokesman in the Washington Post. Well, one of many, but their primary one. Um, and a, a few news stories, but in the New York Times, in the Wall Street Journal, in Yahoo News, they had two really great ones, which I had noticed, but I didn't really center and pay enough attention to, I guess. But you go back and look at all of these, and you see, at least according to them, Patrick, plan B is that if Russia invades Ukraine, we're going to bog them down in an insurgency like we did in Rambo 3 uh-huh. against Afghanistan uh-huh. in the 1980s. Now, plan A, we're trying to talk Putin out of it. Now, they're not willing to negotiate a, a real truce here. 
but they're trying to warn him that he better not. Okay. Um, but at least according to them. So let's give them benefit of the doubt for argument's sake anyway. They really wanted to talk Putin out of it. But their plan B, as they said, was to pour in so many weapons that there would be they would arm up a Ukrainian insurgency because obviously Russia's going to win the war. Russia has the mechanized the power sure, yeah. to smash the yeah. Ukrainian army. It's like if you put up the USA versus Texas, we'll fight, but they'll win. <laughs> you know, we've seen that happen before, you know. Um, so um, yeah, yeah, in that yeah. sense. So, so this is. So you think this is where they're, they're at plan B now and they're going to just want to... That's just, right. They want to muddle right. him down. They want to muddle him down there. and then kick let, me, his. let me make sure I get this right here. Okay. Oh, see, I said the 28th before. I screwed up. That's right. It's the 29th of March. But Patrick, the last time that Antony Blinken, our Secretary of State, talked with Sergei Lavrov, the Foreign Minister of yeah. Russia, was on February the 15th. It was on February the 15th. The last time. A month and, and two weeks ago, right? They're, well, they're six weeks they're ago. They're up to something, Scott Horton. Yeah, well, so this is what it is. It's this, and it's, it is, you know, it always bothers me when they talk about calculus. Oh, our foreign policy calculus. This is just simple arithmetic. It's as dumb as can be. It's the same thing we've seen it a million times. As I just said, it's the plot of Rambo 3. Mm -hmm. Is, and it's funny, like, let's get all psychosocial on it here for a second. <laughs> Rambo 3 was about how never mind Vietnam where we were the mechanized overlords carpet bombing these poor helpless peasants. And where in Rambo 1 and Rambo 2, poor John Rambo was this horrible, alienated Vietnam veteran who's been used and exploited. He stands for all of them, right? Thrown away. He goes and does a heroic rescue mission to save all the POWs since Nixon wouldn't was the story, right, for Rambo 2. But then in Rambo 3, he goes to Afghanistan and in Afghanistan, he's on the side of the Mujahideen. And now, in the role of the Americans, it's the Russians. And they're the ones who are the, you know, mechanized force. There's a great article about this at um, Responsible Statecraft this mm -hmm. week. They're the ones in the roles of the Americans with all the air power and the imperial force, you know, dominating and trying to install this sock puppet government in power there and all of that. And the Americans, John Rambo and the Americans then get to play the part of the heroic rebels standing up against the evil empire, which means we get to kind of cleanse our sins, wash away all our sins of Vietnam. Well, isn't that what we see right now after 20 years of being the overlord where in Afghanistan, fighting against the, for 20 years, for a generation occupying Afghanistan in the name of the consequences from the last time the CIA supported a dirty war in Afghanistan. And then at the same time, I swear this is true. You can see uh, Admiral Stravridis, he was going to be Hillary Clinton's Secretary of Defense. Very important guy, big blabbermouth too. He's all over your TV. And he told the New York Times, yeah, we want to replicate like we did to Russia in Afghanistan in the 80s. We just lost that war six months ago. We just lost that war six <laughs> months ago. And these people got the word Afghanistan in their mouth about we want to redo that. And then he's and he invokes Syria. In other words, Barack Obama's dirty war in Syria, where the CIA and the Saudis and the Qataris and the Turks and the Israelis supported the Al Qaeda suicide bomber, head chopper, murderer terrorists. Half a million people. Because there. they hate the Shiites more. 
This is the most scandalous treason in American history. This makes Benedict Arnold look like George Washington. It's absolutely unbelievable what they did in Syria. And it led directly to the rise of the Islamic State Caliphate that then conquered Western Iraq and required an entire other war, Iraq War III, to then destroy it again. Wow. And they want to say, and that was just a few short years ago, right? The, the, the Iraq War III ended at the end of 2017, right? Um, that's, you know, six years ago. And we still have troops in Iraq and we still have troops in Syria left over from Iraq War III. It's still not all the way over. Call it Iraq War III and a half. Still fighting against local Sunni insurgents there. It's still not over. And these people are going to look right to the newspaper of record and say, yeah, that's what we're going to do. We're going to replicate Afghanistan and Syria. Only now, where are we talking? In Ukraine, in Eastern Europe, right on Russia's border. And it's something we haven't talked about much, and it is part of Russia's propaganda, but it's true, that there are real-ass Nazi forces on the side of the Ukrainian nationalists. Yeah, I want to talk about now, that and, and, and find yeah. out where they came from. I have to do a little break, okay? going yeah. to promote a product, Scott Horton. What fun stuff, eh? Well, fun. I mean, it's a matter, it's a term, you know, this is my first meal of the day. I like to make a blended drink and I'm always basing my blended drinks around colostrum. Colostrum adds so much creamy flavor and texture that if you don't have it, smoothies start to seem a little bit watery to me. Now I'm going to be combining it with a bunch of other ingredients, but it really is the all-star. Colostrum has so many health benefits. Probably it's best known for its effects on the immune system. There's actually an article in PubMed showing colostrum to be three times more effective against flu and flu symptoms than flu vaccines are even in high-risk patients. It's incredible for fighting flu and other viral type infections. It's also really good for building lean muscle mass. In fact, it contains all 89 of the known mammalian growth factors. It's also very good for the gut lining. So people who suffer from things like Crohn's, IBS, uh, leaky gut syndrome, a lot of those folks are using colostrum in the the regenerative process to heal and restore their gut lining. And one of the things I love about it is that it's a complete food. So colostrum contains everything a mammal needs to thrive. It contains all of the essential amino acids. It contains all of the essential lipids or fats. It contains all of the essential glyconutrients. Those are essential sugars that we need for our immune function. So it's got all of that and all those growth factors, which means this is really a complete food for human beings or for any other mammals. Tastes great. It's got the fuel I need to get through the day, and it's got all those added health benefits thanks to the colostrum tube. We have, uh, let's see, colostrum on sale for two more days. I think the 31st is when we, we wrap up the sale. So if you'd like to get some, do it now. Use promo code RESTORE20. RESTORE20. Promo code RESTORE20. OneRadioNetwork.com. And just get on the survival link. And uh, you get 20% off. They have chocolate, vanilla, and strawberry now. So it's, uh, it's pretty cool. One of our favorite things to do every night of our life is take a sauna. And this little puppy, I think you'll really enjoy. Check it out. Recently, we talked with Dr. David Minkoff, MD, about his patients and toxins. We test them for environmental toxins. And we look at their teeth. And we look at their diet. And we do a look at their gut. And... And they're loaded. It is a radical 
360 assault on our bodies, what we're living in today in terms of our environment. It's remarkable what you find on people, like how much stuff they've accumulated. You know, they need to get in the sauna uh, three or four times a week and they need to filter. The, the water systems in the United States are full of environmental toxins. I know when we talked to Dr. Rowie, he was a big fan of these far infrared saunas and getting the sweat out. And he used to test the sweat and everything. Do you do that, a far infrared? And then you, what kind of saunas do you do? I have them get, there's some pretty economical, really good portable saunas that people can get. And I think it's it's like mandatory. If you're living on planet Earth now, you better get in a sauna three times a week for half an hour and really sweat because you're, no matter how careful you are, you're getting full of stuff that you don't want in your body that are toxic and carcinogenic. Yes, we've been promoting and using for years, uh, 10 years now, the Relax Far Infrared Sauna. It's a portable uh, about a thousand really nice units boy they they get hot and boy you sweat and it's it's great great unit yeah oh, you've seen those yeah. yeah they are a great unit and you can get one and uh, the way you want to do it is to uh email your congenial host that would be moi pat patrick at one radio network.com patrick at one radio network.com and we can hook you up for 1295 federal reserve notes such as they are, you can trade your Federal Reserve notes, and that's how we do it, and it's called money uh, for now, and uh, that's how you do it. So just email me, and uh, that's the best price you're gonna get, really, anywhere. They really like us to sell it for fourteen ninety five, but we're taking, said, man, we don't need to make that much commission. So that's the way we do it. The only way you can get the price, they will not allow us to put this price in print because somebody picks it up in California and says, what's going on? So that's how you do it. Email me, Patrick at one radio network dot com. Twelve ninety five delivered in the lower forty eight for those of you in Petaluma. That does not include um, Hawaii or Alaska. This is the greatest thing ever for your teeth. This is called pearl sand. Did you know the DNA of the pearl and we humanoids are very similar? The DNA that's responsible to create the pearl is very similar to how our human calcium metabolism is done. So it's very, very interesting. That's why the pearl is so good for our skins, for our bones, for even to rejuvenate our bone marrows, Mm -hmm. rejuvenate our bones, and rejuvenate our skins, Uh and also nerve systems, and joints, all kind of um, muscles, and like eyesight, our eyes is is a big muscle, basically, and also our heart. It's very good for the heart. It's quite interesting that she mentioned the pearl works to build the bone marrow, and in Ayurveda medicine, they've often talked about the idea when you build the bone marrow, is when you build beauty and longevity. Curious. Pearl, this is a great product. You can brush your teeth with it, and in my opinion, you'll see amazing results on your toothies. Really amazing. You can take it internally, mix it with face cream. Our link on One Radio Network goes to a two-pack where you get a great discount, but if you only want one to start, just click around and you get yourself one. Pearl Sim, click on the ad on front page, OneRadioNetwork.com Know the Source on One Radio Network.
Back in Italy, we used to say know the sauce, but we've changed it to know the sauce. <laughs> uh, a radio commentator, researcher, antiwar.com. He's a he's probably he should have been he should have been founder of the Libertarian Party. He's the most pure libertarian that I know on the planet is Scott Horton, who I've known for about twenty five years. Scott, thanks for coming on. Let's do a little more, a few more things before we let you go back to work and make a little money, for, uh, make a living. Um, two things. Well, we're going to get to the Nazi thing because I don't quite understand that in Ukraine. But before that, as you know, we we study the money situation quite a bit here because of my yeah. mentoring from Andrew Goss. And boy, they've been just as you know kicking Putin's booty everywhere they can with SWIFT and taking. I think they took six hundred billion dollars, you know, of. Uh, Reserve, I don't know how he managed to let that even happen. He should have thought about that before he invaded, but that's another story. And, uh, you know, all these things. Now he's starting to sell his oil, his gas, his wheat, minerals for rubles and gold and uh, bitcoins. So that's going to do a whole other trip-de-dupe on the world economy. Um, So there are forces, Scott Horton, that really want to put him back into the Stone Age financially and maybe politically and geopolitically, right? I mean, they, 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 they fear this guy or what's their thing with him? I mean, they just hate him or what do you think? Yeah, well, I mean, man, it's a few things. I mean, you're right. And, and what you're describing is truly terrifying because, you know, the way Biden just keeps going, oh, he's a butcher, he's a killer, he's right. a murderer, he's right, a right. war criminal. You know, uh, Pat Buchanan, who wrote speeches for Nixon and for Reagan and for people not familiar, is essentially like a right wing populist, almost nationalist American, very, very conservative Pat Buchanan Mm -hmm. said, we never talked like this about the Soviet. Yeah, they never did. Nixon and Johnson and and whoever nobody ever talked about them they like oh it, right? the leader of the Soviet Union is the scum of the earth this kind of thing we because you have to keep at least the pretension of respect <laughs> enough to be able to communicate with each other yes sir it's as simple as that yes sir I you agree. make it once you call the guy Hitler and the war criminal now how are you going to ever bring him back in from the cold again but you're talking about a guy who's sitting on six thousand H bombs. 2,500 which are deployed right now, which is enough to kill every major city in our country in one day, and that's it, and we're all dead, and it's all over for everyone. And in fact, and this is just true, is they'd study this over and over again. Any general nuclear war between America and Russia would not just kill everyone in Europe and America and Russia, but in the, you know, most of the Northern Hemisphere, but there would be a nuclear winter. Because so much of that soot yeah, from it, all of the forest fires it, and cities burning would go up above the strata, above the clouds into the stratosphere. So the rain can't rain it out because it's all above it's, it's enough moisture over. to it's, rain it out. It's game over. I don't. But you know. Oh so, yeah. So people would starve by the billions if we had a. It would essentially be the end of mankind. It would be the absolute apocalypse. There's no way to have an H bomb war that like turns out more or less okay somehow. No, you're talking about billions of people killed. They're psychopaths, but they're not that crazy, are they, Scott Horton? Come on, there. Well, but they're the thing is, man, is they're reckless and they think mm-hmm. they're smart. Yeah. You ever do? Okay, yeah. here's my story. I know you can relate to this because okay. you were once a boy. <laughs> when I was a kid, me and my friend stayed at his grandma's house out in Temple, and she had a railroad that went through her property. Uh-huh. And so, I guess it was the middle of the night. We went out there and put pennies all on the train track. Of course, you got to do that, right? 
Yeah, yeah the train is going to flatten the pennies. It's going to be red. I saved them for a long time. I don't have any left now, but I did save them. But once the train starts coming, my friend tells me, oh, by the way, sometimes this derails the train. He told you that? <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're like in fifth grade. All right. However old you are, 10, right? 11 years old. And, uh, <laughs> and I says, oh, my God, like, what are we going to do, right? And then so here's what we did. We sat there and went, I wonder what's going to happen. And we thought that there was a real chance that we were going to derail a train. But you left him on. But it was really thrilling and it was really scary and it was too late to go. We're not going to run out in front of a train to remove the pennies now. And it's kind of funny in a hee-hee way. Like if you're a 10-year-old boy, you kind of laugh and mm -hmm. giggle and go, okay. So that's these guys here, right? They're like, what's the worst that could happen? And it's kind of thrilling to see how far you can push it. You know, I saw an interview one time with a guy at Chernobyl who caused the meltdown. And he said, um, you know, we took such pride in our ability to make those, uh, those atoms dance, to control their nuclear fission. Uh -huh. And we could control it and swing it this way and that and make it do whatever we want. And you know what? We got a little arrogant. And we thought that we could he said hold that? and then but no what happened got out of control meltdown then chernobyl is now a ghost town forever yeah. i mean there's no solution to chernobyl it's just going to be like that in northern ukraine we're talking about um and so what went on there right was they were screwing around taking risks they should not be taken and going hee hee i guess we'll see what happens so now you know i got a quote i'm writing a book about this now hmm. um and, and there's a quote where Madeleine Albright goes, look, this isn't about Russia. We're not trying to threaten Russia. But if it all backfires and we end up having a problem with Russia, well, we've got our expanded NATO. So it's fine. We'll just, you know, take them on then. You know, she just had to die the other day and leave us with this mess. You know, um, and so these, there's these an arrogance that, that comes with it. They're, they're, really, they're that really, arrogant yeah. and that um, brain dead, so to speak. They're just not that smart. They're just not that. Yeah, I mean, in that, okay, again, with the sorry about all my metaphors and That's things, right. but, you know, there comes a point when you're a teenager you, where you realize your parents are just humans and they're not these super people compared to you the way they used to be. They're just regular people. And then, oh, I know this one counts for you. You get a little bit older and you deal with some doctors and you realize that this guy has no idea what he's <laughs> no talking <clue>. about. <laughs> and in fact, he's actually not that bright That's at all. Right. And I'm kind of surprised. Yeah. I'm a radio host and he's a doctor. Like, this is kind of crazy, right? right. Um, right. I met a neurologist who was like Cletus, the slack-jawed yokel. Huh? Yeah. And I'm going, you're a neurologist? Like, you can't be smarter than 120 on the knob, right? Like, what are we even talking about? So this is the same thing. When you start yes. really learning American foreign policy, same you thing. start learning that all these guys, just like you might guess, they spend so much time shuttling around from place to place and putting on their fancy clothes and going to their fancy parties and meeting with their fancy people that what they're not doing is staying up all night reading until they fall asleep in their chair, obsessively trying to learn everything they can about this stuff. And so they don't. And so you really have hmm. just completely ignorant decisions. And now here's the other thing is you have a real level of guilt. Now you and I are very big men, Patrick. And when we screw up, we like to admit it, I hope. Yes, sir. You know? We it's do. Better, it's good for us to do so, right? But they don't. Whatever incentive you have in your life that, that 
whether business incentives or, or personal relationship incentives that that make that help you to hold yourself accountable as quickly as possible when you really need to be or whatever. They don't have that. All their incentives are on denying that they've ever made a bad choice in their life and presuming and continuing to act like they're an emperor wearing clothes when we know that they're really not and then never admit their fault. So in this case, for example, you have in the Biden administration, you're looking at the Obama administration, less Obama, right? This is all his men. It's Joe Biden as vice president and Jake Sullivan, who was Hillary Clinton's man before he was Joe Biden's man. And you have uh, Antony Blinken, who's always been Joe Biden's man. And you have, um, I'm not sure what role Burns played, but in many of these very same people, oh, and you have Victoria Nuland, who is a neoconservative. Hmm. She's the wife of Robert Kagan, the very from the very important Kagan family, Donald and Robert and Fred. And she's in the, all of them participated, including, we know for a fact, Biden himself, the vice president at the time was in on it. In 2014, when they perpetrated a coup and overthrew the government of Ukraine the elected government that didn't want to go their way. So if you say, well, how come Ukraine can't do whatever they want? Well, they held an election and they chose the wrong way. And so we overthrew their elected government and installed a junta that would do what we said we wanted them to say Ukraine wants to do. Come that, on. That's bad. Right? That's bad karma, man. That is bad. It's very bad. Bad karma. Now, none of these people can admit it, right? Biden, I mean, what do you think are the odds that late on a Thursday night after everybody's officially off of work that Biden sat down with Newland and Sullivan and Blinken and said, okay, guys, come on. We got to admit that we probably overstepped with that coup and we thought we were going to get away with it and we didn't really get away with it. And so now we got some consequences, but maybe we need to be careful here and try to ease our way out of this thing because we did kind of play our part. They, that did not happen. Did okay? not happen. Did not that happen. did not happen. I don't even think that's probably happened between Biden and Blinken alone in a room. Did, would these men say like, geez, we did kind of screwed this up. Hmm. So instead, the narrative is we're perfect and we're great. And that guy who's been in power for 22 years, except for the two years or four years where he stepped down and let somebody else be president for a little while and then came back, this evil Nazi fascist Hitler dictator who only now decided to invade Ukraine, you know, who could have, he, and he's done this because he's evil and evil men do bad things. Of course they do. Everybody knows that. And so that's the end of the argument. And that's where this interview started, right? Was what's the big lie? The big lie is that Putin is any more evil than he's ever been as the leader of the Russian state or that the American empire is any less evil than it's been this whole time. I mean, look at who we're talking about. We're talking about the guys who killed 2 million people and then lost anyway. Okay. They didn't win a single thing in the last 20 years of war in the middle East. Nothing except just, if you're talking about weakening Israel's enemies through bloody chaos and murder, then fine. I guess you can call that a win. Otherwise they haven't won a damn thing. And these are the same people who we're supposed to trust, again, are just total Boy Scouts with nothing but the most highest minded motives. When again, as I was saying, in fact, not just uh, Admiral uh, Stravridis, but Hillary Clinton herself went on MSNBC and it was just like you interviewing me. They just let her blab on and on and on. 
And she just, they wouldn't stop. You know, usually on MSNBC, they'll stop you, but not her. So she just starts talking. And you could figure if you were there and worked for her, you might have taken a cane and kind of yanked her off stage like Daffy Duck enough. But she just kept talking and talking. And she starts talking about how great it's going to be when we replicate the dirty war in Afghanistan in the 1980s against Russia and Ukraine. And how we want to prolong this thing to bleed Russia and to weaken Vladimir Putin. And in fact, um, just this last week, there's an article in Bloomberg News by a guy named Niall Ferguson. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with him, but he's a pro- yeah. He's a British pro-imperialist. Right, he was right. very much for Iraq War II and very much for, as he calls it, Pax Americana. If America doesn't hold down peace in the world, it'll all be chaos and we'll all die somehow or whatever. That's kind of always been sure. his point of view. But anyway, he's a little bit smart on this issue. And he wrote this article in Bloomberg where he says that, you know, he's like in Washington, D.C. And he says he has multiple sources close to the White House and the Democrats and the national security state who are all telling him they want to prolong this war in order to weaken Russia and weaken Putin to the point that his regime collapsed. That's what they want. That's what they that, want. That's what they want, that this is like their final move to try to make that happen, is to make this war such a hardship for Russia and to build up such resentment against Putin inside Russia that then this will weaken his regime the way the Afghan war weakened the Soviet Union, which it did, it right? Did. And yeah. this is what, I know I got in a lot of trouble with you and your audience, and it's fair, no, no, when I said that, no, 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 when, I'm talking about the last time oh, I was on, that. when we talked about Al-Qaeda, how, to me, I don't think it was all just to put on, and I think that bin Laden learned the lesson of the 80s Afghan war. If you can bog down an empire in Afghanistan, you can bleed them to bankruptcy and force them out the hard way. Yeah, and I think yeah. that the CIA helped them do it back then. And he decided that he was going to turn about was fair place, going to do the same thing to us, provoke us into a war that yes, would sir. lead to us essentially bleeding ourselves out. And now that's what the Americans, not taking the lesson that that's what they have just put us all through for the last 20 years, they think it's just 1980 again, and they're just going to start all over again and make this thing work. But I know what you're saying. But, Scott, they've got H-bombs. So how could anyone be so reckless? And I just, I don't know what to tell you, man. It's a penny other than the, uh, they the, just tell the, each the other that, nah, thing, right? it's going to be yeah, fine. Yeah. Scott, know? so what does Putin have to do, in your opinion, to, um, let's see, to not let, him, let them do what they want to do to him? I mean... Does he just fix everything up in Ukraine like he wants his own people and whatever and then go back home? I mean, what does he do? Well, <laughs> I mean, I, I think for the Americans to be satisfied with him, he'd have to just blow his own brains out, man. I, they're kidding. never going to tolerate that, They're that looney tunes, these people? See, okay. Let's, I'm not trying to like be naive and foolish here because obviously there's a lot of ruthlessness involved in you what don't we're sound about naive here. and foolish believe but, me trust me you don't don't worry okay but, but but i do mean to say that there is an ideology of american empire yes sir that does insist that this is all for the good just like uh -huh. that guy niall ferguson i just cited he really believes that if it wasn't for america and britain and you know, enforcing the UN's world law on the people through our one world army, the US army, mm -hmm. that the world would just completely devolve into chaos. And after all, there may be a little bit of truth to that in a sense. So 
here's the thinking. Pretend you're Madeleine Albright for a second. You never heard of our point of view at all. You just are from Georgetown, D.C., right? So you look at the way the federal government keeps the peace between the 50 states. Nobody thinks the 50 states are going to break into warfare, or hopefully not anytime in any kind of near future. And in fact, it would be basically impossible for Missouri and Kansas to go to war or Texas and Oklahoma to go to war. Because if they even began to fight over such a fight that it was going to come to that, the national government, with its absolutely overwhelming power, would intervene and would prevent that from happening. They make it so that fighting between the sovereign 50 states is not an issue that you even consider at all, right? So then now if you're Madeleine Albright, not Patrick Timponi, you say, well, look, we should do the same thing in Europe, right? We should, this is sort of the idea if, again, if you're trying to be charitable in your interpretation of their point of view here, that, you know, as they used to say, well, there's, there's one alternative to nuclear war, the UN, right? That kind of thing. So in other words, if we could spread a Pax Americana in the middle part of North America, we spread, or a Pax, I guess, a Pax Americana in Europe too. So we spread the European Union, which is this economic United States of Europe integration. But we spread the NATO alliance, which is not just a European army, but it's a European army dominated by the United States of America. And the Germans and the French have been willing to accept that, well, the French off and on. The Germans have been willing to accept that since the end of the Second World War. And of course, with Britain in there too. And they always said the slogan for NATO was, it's to keep the Americans in, the Germans down, and the Soviets out, right? And read the Russians out. So we don't want the Germans to have a big independent foreign policy. We want to keep them under our control. And then for that matter, let's go ahead and include Slovakia and Slovenia and Bosnia and Croatia and the Baltic states, Latvia, Lithuania and Estonia and Hungary and Poland and everybody. And then that will keep them from fighting amongst each other. How could Slovakia and Slovenia ever go to war over anything at all if they're all part of the NATO integrated military force in Eastern Europe? They can't, right? The same reason America could never conceivably go to war uh, Texas against Louisiana, right? Yeah. So, right. So we're just going to spread our peace and our influence, our nuclear umbrella. No one will ever threaten you as long as you're with us because we're so big and bad. And now you are safe behind our safe nuclear umbrella line. Except that, zoom out a little bit and now stand on the outside of that line. Now you're the Russians. And this whole thing is still a military alliance pointed directly at you. Now, I have to tell you, man, like you can read enough of these people kind of selling their own BS story that even though there are lots of contradictory facts at play, we're still talking about a lot of different individuals, a lot, uh, you know, in different jobs at different times, too. And you can find so many people arguing that, man, we really don't mean Russia any harm by this. We really are just trying to spread peace and our Pax Americana and our nuclear umbrella of security and stability and friendship. And then now there's, you know, certainly contrary policies going on that kind of put the lie to that. But the point is, a lot of people do believe in that. And on the surface, it makes a lot of sense. It's just that the problem is the line, you got to draw the line somewhere. And whoever's on the outside of that line got a problem. Now, why won't America bring Russia into NATO? Because unlike the Germans, they would really have to have a say, right? They have a huge nuclear force. 
and this giant military establishment now and who's going to be our enemy yeah well China, that, that's the whole point or, without yeah. russia why would you yeah. even need nato exactly you wouldn't even need it so, <laughs> right so so and do we don't want a nuclear war with china either right so yeah. like this whole but so now but so if we won't include now if we did include them that would mean they would get to have something like a 30 or 40 percent say in nato policies right they right. would not be total pushovers yeah. and the americans don't want to share that power so instead they end up <clears throat> sort of accidentally with a knife at russia's throat so from the point of view of so many of them that this they they swore this was never their intention but that's what it's ended up to be that's what it is and um and, Scott, oh, and then one more thing real yeah, quick on that, yeah, that go ahead. see after the coup of 2014 and this is where they used the nazis that's where the nazis come Yadavich, whatever his name uh, was right yeah in the in the coup of 2014 well, Putin reacted by seizing the Crimean Peninsula, and then a war broke out in the east. And now again, were they going to say, well, this is our fault because we did a violent coup, and that led to a reaction. We thought we'd get away with it, but we didn't get away with it. No, of course not. So they needed a different substitute narrative. So what was their different substitute narrative? Vladimir Putin is evil, of course. And he did this because of how evil he is, because evil men do bad things. Everybody knows that, and that's all you need to know. And never mind February 2014, history begins in March. And so that's how they played it. It became a, part, a necessary part of their public relations to make up for their failure. Yes, sir. Wow. It's no different, and I don't get too off track of this whole COVID thing. You know, it's a virus, and you got to wear a mask, and you got to do this, because. but don't question it, and boom, you're done. That's it. That's it. And we're the scientists, and whatever. You know, yeah. and all new and contrary information that comes in, notwithstanding. Oh, right. You know, I mean, it take us off. They take us off Facebook. They take us off YouTube. Right. They take you off everything. Why do they care? You know? So look, um, we saw the same thing in Syria. Yeah, where same they, thing. You, same. I could swear you had a policy. You really did have some people in the Obama government who said, "Okay, everybody, let's agree. We're going to back the moderate rebels, but not the bad rebels." And they said, "Okay, that sounds really smart. Okay, let's do that." But then, come on, man, who's chaining you, jerking you? In no time at all, it is clear, I mean, just from the very beginning of that thing, that the bad guys rule the insurgency. The moderate rebels are sitting at a hotel in Qatar, and the actual insurgency are a bunch of throat-slitting, suicide-bombing maniacs. Now, in the Obama government, did they say, whoa, 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 we better rip up that piece of paper that we all signed um, and, and write up a new one? and admit that we were wrong and change our mind as quickly as possible. No, they just refuse to admit that these radicals are a problem, that the Bin Ladenites are a problem. No, 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 we're just back in moderates. And of course, after all, the Bin Ladenites are effective fighters, aren't they? These maniacs. And so, geez, we'd hate to sell them short. And so just based on the most ridiculous narrative, I mean, telling you that a Bin Ladenite suicide bomber is the equivalent of a Massachusetts militiaman from Lexington and Concord, right? And for years. And it was it's like, listen, you guys need to adjust your narrative to the reality, but they just can't. They can't ever admit they're wrong. They can't ever change their mind. I, they have to just double down and triple down and quadruple and Scott, down no matter when what. When you take the financial end of this with the want to sell LNG and blocking the, you know, the the pipeline to right? Germany uh -huh. and then you know, uh, the uh, great point. EU. Wait, wait. So let me stop you there. That's oh. such an important point that people might not know, right? Okay. So, so uh, thank you for bringing that up. Yeah. So, 
The Russians and the Germans have been working for years on this important pipeline. Big one. Called the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. Yes. And the Americans have been dead set against it. And it is led by mercantilist interests in Texas who are want to sell liquefied natural gas. Ted Cruz is their front man. Yes, and sir. they push as hard as they can to try to stop this thing. And I think this must have played in, Patrick. Oh, it's got to. Well, oh. one good side benefit of a war in Ukraine would be that Germany will finally cancel that pipeline. Now, let me say, because I think this is so important, right, that, and and I, everybody knows this, but people haven't thought this through or talked about it yet, so they don't know this in this manner. So let me just say it plainly. The last two times that the Germans and the Russians fought, it was the worst thing that ever happened, okay? 30 million people killed on the Eastern Front in the second in the First World War, and something like 40 to 50 to, you know, upwards of 60 million people killed in the Second World Whoa. War. Okay. Wow. Now a lot of that was in China and Japan, but but a lot I mean, most of that was in Eastern Europe. Okay. Hmm. Now um so now if you have a pipeline where you can have the Germans sending Euros east to Russia and the Russians sending energy west to Germany. Yes, sir. On a daily basis. Which Germany needs, every, by the way. Which Germany needs. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, exactly right. So every single human on the planet, all 7 billion of us, should absolutely celebrate that pipeline as maybe the greatest invention in the history of world peace. Mm -hmm. Right? We want for, for Germany and Russia to be as economically interdependent as possible, especially as long as the Americans stay out. Because if the Americans come in and ruin it, then now that can cause a real tension over who controls what resources. But what we want is this economic interdependence so they don't fight. Uh, uh, Frederick Bastiat, the great uh, French libertarian economist, wrote in the 1850s, I think, that where goods do not cross borders, soldiers will. So as long as there's Whoa. open trade and I can buy your natural gas, I wouldn't ever have to invade you and conquer you to steal your natural gas. Just make it available for me to purchase across borders and we'll keep this thing copacetic. We are talking about businessmen and they can be pretty brutal uh, along with their states, right? So that's what we want. We want Russia and Germany to be friends. We want Germans to speak Russian, to speak Russian. We want Russians to speak German and we want them to be bros, to spare us from the previous apocalypse ever happening again only now post the invention of a bombs and h bombs which would be again the end of mankind so then here come the americans and they get this stupid narrow selfish self-interest for a few connected companies in texas not the people of texas much less the people of the united states of america just a few connected gangsters oligarchs you might call them get to call in this favor and have you know america and nato and and you know and the cia and everyone intervene in this way to help prevent this pipeline deal from going through. And hey, lo and behold, they succeeded. They did. Sure looks So like. Cruz has been, a, he's been the top of the guy for this guy for Texas. Yeah, huh? he, he sure seems to be like their biggest PR man in the government uh -huh. right now. Wow. And you know, Rand Paul actually wrote a gave a great speech and they ran it at the American Conservative Magazine where he calls it mercantilism or mercantilism. I don't yeah, know how to say it right. But yeah, it's, mercantilism. you know, essentially, you know, early capitalism was so inter twined with the state it wasn't really capitalism yet it was there was there were merchant classes but still everything was on the king's charter in such a way and with subsidies and taxes in such a way that free market capitalism was when they broke those chains and really centered the economy around property and contract right so so mercantilism then is a corrupt throwback to the state stealing 
from poor people to give to rich people, yeah. essentially. United Fruit Company and that whole thing, right? Right. That's right. Yeah. And threatening us all with Armageddon. Yeah. I mean, like, if you remember, did you ever see uh, Terminator 2, Judgment Day? I don't, where, I don't know if I saw that one or not, no. Okay, so the original Terminator, the, the, uh, the uh, Skynet program provokes a war between America and the Soviet Union in order to kill all the humans. And then so that Skynet, the computer program, can take over the world, right? <laughs> so, but by the time the sequel came out, the Soviet Union had fallen and we were friends again. So there's a scene in the second one where the kid says to Arnold Schwarzenegger, yeah, but I thought we were friends with the Russians now. <laughs> they put that in there. Because they have to retcon and explain away how it happened, right? <laughs> and so the Terminator explains, well, but Skynet figured that they still have enough nukes to get the job done. So they just provoked the war anyway, even though America and Russia didn't really have anything to fight about. Once the nuclear, once the missiles started flying, they retaliated and that was enough, right? So, but in other words, here in the story, you have a 15-year-old kid who says, but I thought we're friends with the Russians now. In other words, everybody knows that. The Soviet Union is dead and gone, Patrick, 30 years. And you know what? Ike Eisenhower and I think even the Truman guys who inaugurated the Cold War with the Soviet Union said at the time that if we were just talking about the Russian Empire in Eastern Europe, we wouldn't give a crap. No. But this is communism. Oh. This is Stalin. This is the red flag. And after all, they do occupy all of Eastern Europe halfway, you know, up to halfway across Germany. And they do have the manpower to threaten the West. And okay, but that's just all gone now. Right? So, you know, there's a reason why, again, Pat Buchanan, who was this paleoconservative right-wing nationalist Ronald Reagan speechwriter. As soon as the Soviet Union dissolved, he was like, well, that's it. Abolish NATO, bring the boys home, abandon the empire. We were never supposed to be an empire. He wrote a book, A Republic, Not an Empire. And it was about how we were never supposed to be an empire. This was just for the duration of the emergency containing the Soviet communist menace. And now that that's over, there is no excuse good enough for America to be the guarantor of all security in Europe and in Asia. It just makes no sense. Just look at a map, the middle part of North America as the dominant political and military force through all of Eurasia and all of the old world forever, from now on to eternity. Does that make any sense to you or to no. anyone else? Not when you say it like that, but that's what they mean. And now the only excuse is that Putin is the devil. That's it. Of course. That's and it. look, of course, he's always been a gangster. Well, There's always been stories of him throwing right? people out of windows. Yeah. Look, he was one of Yeltsin's men. Yeah. And the reason he was one of Yeltsin's men was because of what a gangster he was. He was part of the crew. But what happened essentially was, well, put yourself in his position. Here, he was the kind of loyal underling of this drunken sock puppet traitor to his country, essentially, Boris Yeltsin, who might as well have been an American CIA agent as compliant as he was, right? as much as they did handle him. So now Yeltsin's gone. It's the turn of the millennium. He comes into power. He's got this entire Russian state that's essentially just a plaything in the hands of these oligarchs. And he says, well, am I the president of Russia or ain't I? <laughs> so he calls in these oligarchs and he says, listen, if you want to play ball with me, you can stay. But you're going to stay out of Russian politics. You can have your money. You can have what you stole already. But 
you're going to be nice and play by my rules. I am the strongest man in this country, not you, he said to Kordakovsky and Berezovsky and all of these gangsters. Well, most of those guys, many of them anyway, they took their money and ran to Tel Aviv and to London and to New York, right? And the few of them that stayed have played ball with Putin. Like you have this guy, he's in the news right now, Abramovich, who's apparently helping with some of the negotiations. And there was a fake story in the Wall Street Journal that he had been poisoned by the Russians, which is complete nonsense, already debunked nonsense. But anyway, this guy, Abramovich, he's got like the biggest yacht in the world or whatever. He's one of the biggest gangsters in the world. So Putin's government is no less corrupt, but it's just he switched from having all of these oligarchs do whatever they want to having loyal oligarchs do whatever they want. (laughs) Um, A much smaller group but that he is still the strong man and the top dog and their their economics and corporatism will benefit the russian state as he sees fit not as they see fit was essentially but what does that mean patrick what that means is he declared independence from the united states of america and the brits and the israelis who were backing the gangsters who were robbing russia blind he put it in and they can never forgive that anymore they can forgive it in cuba you're just not allowed to do that. And Scott, the dollar boys are not going to be happy with this whole ruble thing and China and yuan for oil and Saudi Arabia and India rubles. This is this it's is not a new gonna, world order, this all is, right. This is not going to go well mm-hmm. with the dollar ink boys. So they're you know I'm sure they're having meetings right now. What they're going to do with this guy? It's not good. You know I not, I have to tell you, man. Not I, good. Just the same as kind of the libertarian analysis of anything. Central planning doesn't work. No. These guys are very, very bad at what they do. Hmm. And, you know, like I remember in the, in the spring of 04, there was a, a horrible a battle broke out in Fallujah, west of Baghdad, hmm. where the Marines went to avenge the murder of these Blackwater guards. And then at the same time, a Shiite militia in Najaf and in East Baghdad, led by a guy named Miktada al-Sadr, picked up their rifles and started to fight as well. And I remember telling my friend, oh, your friend too, Rick McGinnis of the Bumper Sticker Company. You know him, right? Sure, yeah. I was over at Rick's house and I remember telling Rick, oh my God, you know, as bad as it was the way that they lied us into this war and all of that stuff, they are just so bad at it. They are just so absolutely incompetent in figuring out (laughs) which winners and losers to pick in this occupation. They just up and it's remember the mythology at that time too was like bush and cheney and powell and rice and Tennant. these are the most competent administrators in world history even though 9-11 just happened on their watch you're supposed to that's somebody else's fault not theirs but you can trust them now they've got intelligence and all of this stuff and then you look at how they actually implement the war and they are just like if you picked a couple of random junior high school gym coach meathead idiots to get out there and run the thing. They don't know the first thing about the country that they've invaded. They don't know the first thing about what they're doing. And then that's the same thing that's happened in Libya and in Syria and with their Eastern European policy and all of these things. Whatever it is that they do know, it's never enough. And you look at the war in Yemen. The war in Yemen, if it was funny, it would be a comedy of errors where the CIA's drone war against Al-Qaeda there, some guys who really deserve getting blown up well they killed a bunch of innocent people and that war totally backfired and grew al-qaeda more powerful and then the dictator they were bribing he took the money and weapons and he went and started war with his other enemies in the north of the country and that failed too and they kept getting more and more powerful the more he fought them 
Then when the Arab Spring came, Hillary Clinton intervened and did a coup d'etat and overthrew that guy and put his vice president in. Well, one, his vice president sucked at being the new dictator and everyone hated him. And two, the last president that she overthrew, he didn't retire back to a life of quiet study like Mullah Omar in Afghanistan. He went and joined forces with that group in the north that he had been fighting and attacking and made a new alliance with them and invaded and conquered the invaded you know, rolled south and conquered the capital city of Sana'a at the end of 2014. So this is all just total blundering stupidity. And I'm not saying they were accidentally intervening, but I'm saying the consequences of their intervention were a thousand miles from predicted or predictable by the Obama idiots who integrated, you know, initiated this policy. They had no idea that this series of events could possibly play out in this way. And Scott and Horton, then as too. soon as they take over the Capitol... Obama starts a whole new war against this new group that took over the Capitol, even though they're in alliance with the last guy who America supported in power since the H.W. Bush years. And we could have just left well enough alone right there. But instead, they launched a war that's now seven years old. Patrick, they called it Operation Decisive Storm. It's been going on now for seven years. And they've killed, as I told you before, I promise you, man, when the thing is done, a million people will have died. Of who otherwise would not have when they compare the excess death rate. And we already know it's hundreds and hundreds of thousands in direct acts of violence, most especially airstrikes, yes. and that they target all civilian infrastructure, the water, the sewage, the electricity, the hospitals, the trucks, the fishermen's boats, everything. It's a genocide. And it's all essentially like some mad magazine idiocy and i i shouldn't have said that because i always respected mad no, magazine I understand. It's, no. but, it, but it's just completely insane okay before it, we and, go and it's, and it's blundering it's, it's blundering idiocy is is the point i was really trying to get there no, it I was understand. It's, it's a bunch of ad hoc policies that add up to a genocide we mentioned dollar inc but i think that god love i wish andrew was here but who taught me about you know, Brenton Woods and the and the petrol dollar and the worm has turned on that puppy. Remember the day when you, when mm-hmm. Saddam or somebody would even think about a dinar oil Boris thing and they would you know kill him. Now it that that's all done. It's over. It's yep. oh, it's over. You know, people look, people again, are selling is- their oil for whatever they want to, and they're not they don't have the juice or they don't have the willpower right. or the energy to do anything about it. Nothing. Yep, back to bin Laden, man. I'm telling you, the plan was oh, I tell you. to provoke us into invading Afghanistan. And then as Michael Scheuer said, the former chief of the CIA's bin Laden unit, said that Iraq was the hoped for but unexpected gift to bin Laden. And I forgot exactly who coined this the first time. It may have been uh, Gary North over there uh, from LouRockwell.com who said that, who first said, the high watermark of the American empire is in the spring of 2003 when they, they got rid of Saddam and it's been all downhill since then they completely botched that war and they botched every other thing that came after it Afghanistan that came before it also but then Libya Syria Yemen and Somalia and all through you know spreading the terror war all through North and West Africa and the rest that um, you can just see where after and then after Obama the reaction to Bush and then Trump the reaction to Obama where, and now Biden, the senile old coot who his administration has to take back everything uttered out of his insane mouth, um, how just the credibility is lost. The, the, the luster 
is and the sheen is off the shine of the new car it's a lemon and nobody's buying it anymore and so just like you're saying bluffs are being called all over all the over place the country, now the what world. are they going to do about it yeah. i'm afraid they're going to start a nuclear war i mean this is you know <laughs> when empires fall they characteristically lash out in this childish kind of insane sort of way because again that's, they can't that's what a bully does any responsibility right? for themselves does, right a bully that's yeah, what they do that's right that's what they do that's right so look so this is why i'm a ron paul guy to my core and this is why you know the greatest tragedy probably of american history is that the american people turned him down in 2008 and 2012 when we truly had republic or empire on the ballot and the american people told him no yeah. and and that was the last chance we had to just say look we don't care if you call it losing afghanistan or iraq or for that matter our alliance and dominance in saudi arabia or the rest of the gulf states or any of these things we're not supposed to be an empire in the first place so never mind losing our empire we're abandoning our empire we're bringing all our troops home we're bringing all our sailors home we we'll have a few ships sailing off the coast of our shores with their guns pointed out, and we'll be fine. We got two vast oceans and two weak and friendly neighbors, and then we're going to lead the world only by example. A limited constitutional republic whose jurisdiction truly ends at 12 and a half miles off of our shores. Hmm. And that is it. And then, you know what? And not to sound like, you know, stupid utopian, but frankly, I think if, if somehow you could just not have the corrupt incentive of the military industrial firms involved here, yeah. that you truly could have an America that that truly believed in those Ron Paulian precepts and in a way where it wasn't cynical, it wasn't manipulative, it wasn't just like a public relations. You know, Bill Clinton can talk about free markets and self-government. It doesn't mean that he means it, right? But but we're talking about like real libertarianism, that if that was truly the American way, then we could host every peace conference in the world that we could come up with, right? Where we don't promise anything. We're not going to pay Egypt $3 billion a year to pretend to not hate Israel. But can, will we invite Egypt and Israel to sit down and hammer out any differences they ever have? Yes. And and will we make that our business to like make sure to try to negotiate between Kashmir, uh, you know, the Kashmir crisis between India and Pakistan, and for that matter, China and Nepal and others have their interests there. Like, let's make sure, let's sit down and let's iron this out. You know, India and Pakistan have nukes and they fought four wars over Kashmir since World War II. Four. If they had a fifth one, you're talking about tens of millions of people killed. Imagine nukes going off in New Delhi and nukes going off in Islamabad and Karachi. No, 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 we can't have that. So, but if we abandon our empire and we don't have a dog in that fight, and we're not led by a bunch of cynical hypocrites who do actually have a dog in that fight, but we really don't have a dog in that fight, then we can try to help them to negotiate peace in places, especially where it's most important like that. And that should be our role in the world. And you can have a UN in the sense of it's a mutual agreement of countries not to attack each other, yeah. essentially, is what the UN Charter is. It says every nation must respect every other nation's sovereignty. If we're going to redraw these borders, we're not going to do it through violence. We're going to do it through negotiation. Because after all, there are a lot of lousy borders in the world that don't really belong exactly where they are. But then again, it's very hard to move them without making people very angry too, right? So how do you solve those problems? Very, very carefully and with a genuine you know a, uh outreach to try to do so not some kind of cynical thing 
I mean, when America has a peace deal, it's an ultimatum. It's a you, sign here, we'll kill you. Do you think that's a, not a peace? Deal. Do you think a let's be utopia for a minute before we go? Because I got to go. I have another thing I got to do. Um, do you do you are, can we be hopeful enough, Scott Horton, that someday somebody like I mean, or would it even matter? There's two questions. Somebody could actually get in that big white house and be somebody really cool or is it or have we lost this thing man are we are we just is, well that's a great question i know I i'll mean, tell you this i don't know i don't know I, i'll tell you this donald trump changed the game because so? uh, you know i would have told you i was predicting jeb bush was going to be the president for years hmm. because it was so obvious that now that obama's reelected in 2016 our choice is going to be between bill clinton's wife and george bush's brother everybody knows that and that's just how it is they're the next in line in their royal, uh, you know, tradition in each party uh-huh. uh, to come to power. And that's all it's going to be. But then some crazy you know, lightning struck, yeah. essentially. And what it was, was Roger Stone said to Donald Trump, Jeb Bush is a punk, dude. You could take him out with one sucker punch <laughs> to the stomach. And then, to be perfectly frank about it. Jeb was the alpha dog among the Republicans. Marco Rubio and Rand Paul and John Kasich and these guys are all a bunch of wimps. No offense, Rand. I like Rand. He's a great senator most of the time. Um, But in terms of like stage presence or whatever, he was, you know, if, if Donald Trump could take out Jeb, he could take out everybody else too. Simple as that. And, and Roger Stone did that math. And now who's Donald Trump? He happens to be before 2016. He was the most famous man who ever lived, right? Like in his own way, aside from his completely ridiculous way, in his own way, he's handsome, or at least he's not like completely objectionably ugly. He's taller than six feet tall. He's got literally billions of dollars. Even the New York Times confirms he has like three or four or five billion dollars, if not really 10, but he's legitimately a billionaire. And he's more famous than Michael Jackson ever was. Um, and in fact, when I knew he was going to be the president was what I read in 2015 when the primaries were just getting going. I mean, the primary season was just getting going. I read an article that said he was on his show. The Apprentice was on for 14 seasons. Now, I don't watch primetime TV, Patrick, but guess who does? Americans. And you just can't beat that. You can't cut that with a lightsaber, man. You just can't do a damn thing about that. That makes him, you know, they had to upgrade from star to superstar and then they had to come up with megastar because some people were even more famous than superstar. Well, Donald Trump was more famous than a megastar, right? Donald Trump is the most famous human man who ever lived. And so for him, he had, he was probably the only man at that time who could, you know, was rich enough and tall enough and brash enough, you know, can I say a bad word? A prick enough. To just use those sharp elbows and just muscle everybody aside and be as ruthless as he had to be to win that thing. And he did like he he really did bully the crap out of Jeb and make Jeb into a total nerd dork mark on his knees wheezing while Trump was the victorious bully. And because Jeb didn't have even a single credible swing in his own defense, he was his toast was done. This is why they hate him today. um, This is why they hate him. But now. Yeah, like now I think things have changed because 
it used to be the rule was you have to be a vice president, a governor or a senator. But now that literally is no longer the case. Right. It is has been proven no longer the case. He runs tomorrow. And he would win. He'd win. That's right. And, and I think he very well might win the next election. I think he uh, there's a very good chance he's going but to run know, and win. You know, this system probably well as anybody. I mean, let's just say for a minute that Trump is I might. Well, whatever is kind of a sort of maybe a good guy and maybe would not get in all these wars. I don't know. But would he could a guy just in the White House like that have enough juice to to not not get things so screwed up? I mean, is that possible? Yes. Really? Yes. Really? Yes. Huh. Because you know what? Like if you read the Constitution's Article uh, two there and you see yeah, just yeah. how how brief it is. Unitary That's executive like theory, huge right? Grants of power in there. That's right? why it's so Cheney vague. ran the whole war in Iraq on, on Article right. Two. Unitary executive right. theory. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's you can do there's it. so much left unanswered about the presidency there mm -hmm. that the answer essentially ultimately always ends up as he can do whatever he wants. Yeah. And and he can absolutely do whatever he wants. Now the problem with Donald Trump is he does have some good instincts, but ultimately. He is a very corrupt man. Oh, he's not a he's not a Ron Paul or even a Rand Paul type of a character in that genuine kind of a way. Yeah. So he he does resent a lot of the same people I resent, and for some of the same reasons. <laughs> Your enemy, right? Is my enemy, right? <laughs> That's right. I learned a very important thing about Trump from Al Sharpton. Um, again, back then when he first started running, that Al Sharpton said, "Listen to all you people out in the country. You think this guy's a billionaire from from New York, but that's not right." He's from Queens. From Queens, right. And that's different, right? That means to the guys in Manhattan, he's white trash scum. And they hate his guts, and they always have. Wow. And Matt has always been a complex for him because he's a total narcissist. And they can only ever look down their nose at him. And so he's always hates them, and yet is always trying to please them and impress them and fit in with them but it never quite works and like this guy this is a whole part of his character hmm. um but it means that he didn't he never represented them you talk about his ties to new york banks he owed them all a bunch of money right like yeah, he right. was a, he ripped them off just like he ripped off the guy that painted the outside right? of the club deutsche bank you know in, huh? yeah in, in germany deutsche bank he owed them a whole bunch oh, of money man oh yeah and 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 all up and down wall street too um right so um <laughs> so but now, so the, the problem was just, he was essentially like, who was, who was his Cheney? His Cheney was his horrible son-in-law, Jared Kushner, who had no God loyalties or priorities was. other than serving Israel, right? And, and who also was like this stupid idiot on every other thing and gave Trump, you know, horrible advice all the time. And then also Trump is such a kind of thin flake in the way he looks at the world that he hired James Mattis to be his Secretary of Defense. Now, I know that was probably very popular with the Israelis because he was a hardcore anti-Iran hawk, right? But Trump fell in love with the guy because he looks like George C. Scott in the movie Patton. <laughs> and he goes, wow, you sure do have a broad chest with a lot of shiny ribbons and medals on it. I'm so impressed by your manliness, Mr macho manly marine corps general man you want to be my secretary of defense and it really was like that Jeez. and at no point did he say to mattis now listen up mattis if you want this job you have to end wars and tell people that it's okay
that Donald Trump wants to end these wars because I, right-wing, tough guy, Marine Corps, macho man, General Mattis, say it's okay for us to bring our troops home now. That's the job. At no point did Donald Trump say that to him. Donald Trump said, wow, you're a lot like George C. Scott in the movie Patton. Want to be Secretary of Defense? But who did he hire? He hired Charles Manson. He hired a guy who's an insane hawk who might as well be a neoconservative, you know, Likud party ideologue. And so uh, then he hired John Bolton. Again, a popular decision with the Israelis. But guess what happened when he brought John Bolton to negotiations with North Korea? He ruined them. Well, if Donald Trump knew anything, he might know that John Bolton is the reason that North Korea even has nuclear weapons in the first place right now because of John Bolton's horrible policy under W. Bush, which broke Clinton's deal with them and essentially forced them out of the nonproliferation treaty and into a basket full of nukes. And then what does Trump do? He brings John Bolton, the saboteur, to the negotiations with North Korea. And all he does is talk and interrupt and ruin everything and refuse to allow anything to happen. Well, so in other words, this guy ain't even the palest imitation of Ron Paul. He's never read Ron Paul. He's never watched YouTubes of Ron Paul. He doesn't believe the things that we believe. All he knows is when he watches TV, he knows what he doesn't like. But by TV, I mean CNN and Fox, right? He doesn't know. And, and you could tell while he was the president, he wasn't reading anything. I'm not saying he can't read, but I think he's like a functionally an illiterate, uh, the same way W. Bush was too. Like, don't make me read. I don't have the patience for that. Just tell me. But like, man, you can only learn so much watching television. <laughs> and of course, the point of view of CNN is all just horse race stuff. Who's up? Who's down? Who said what? You know, a Republican said a thing about Nancy Pelosi and she responded by saying this and that. They're never talking about power. They're never talking about what's really going on here. And so he never knew what was really going on here. We're like, if you and I worked for him, you'd be like, look, Mr. Trump, let me introduce you to Horton. And I would be like, listen, here's the thing, Mr. President. You got the bankers. You got the Israelis. You got the arms manufacturers. You've got agribusiness. You've got the big pharmaceutical companies and the insurance companies. And of course, you got to deal with the South. Right? We're not talking about left and right and liberals and conservatives and stupid TV crap. We're talking now immediately about who has the power to shoot you in the face in Dallas if you get too far out of line on what issue and what are we going to tackle first with a deep understanding of what the American empire and government are and represent what is this american state it's not what you see on cnn yeah. but that was only ever the best that he could do and it's really unfortunate too because in fact to really answer your question if it was you in that chair and you picked up the phone and said admiral sail home he would sail home hmm. and he might go oh but mr president went and if you said hey you heard me sail home then he would sail home and that would be the end of that the president is the boss of the government that's where all their power comes from too is that the president gives them their authority 
under his Article Two power as part of his administration. You, and you think once you take that chair, you can. And I'm not saying again. I just named all the power factions. I'm not saying yeah, do you presidents think these, are all powerful and no one else has any. But I'm saying if he puts his foot down, that means everything. You think but the these, question is, what's he putting his foot down about? You, you know? think these power dudes will uh, dudettes will ever let him in in 24? Boy. Don't we have an interesting couple of years coming up to see how that shakes out? Because I got to tell you, well, I think he's going to I think it's almost certain he's going to run. I think his only real credible opposition in the Republican Party would be DeSantis. And and yet DeSantis has all his same constituents. And if he insists on being the president and Trump, who already is going after him, if Trump says you are Judas, the betrayer and anyone who loves me has to hate you. People are going to take that to heart. Yeah, people are going. That'll really hurt him a lot. And I think DeSantis, if I was him anyway, I'd just wait. He's young enough; he could wait four years oh, yeah. to run. Yeah. You know. Um, and but I think if he, I think if he, I guess if he does run, I, I guess there's a chance he could beat Trump. But it would be a real fight between those two. Yeah. But as far as are there any other Republicans who would try to stand against Trump now, other than Mitt Romney or something, who just oh, carries no support? Oh, I mean, there's just no support on the right for those rhinos and the, the liberal Republicans at all anymore. The W. Bush, the John McCain days, those are over for the right now. So it's going to be a hell of a fight, man, to see because I think he's going to run again. And look, they framed him for treason last time. They might just take him on a parade in Dallas next time. You know what I mean? I don't know yeah. if he's even, you know, physically safe from well, them at this point. I, I got to run, but I love, I love talking to you. I, I do good, too. I had a good time. Well, I really had a good Me time. Me too. Uh, what do you think of this, um, what's her name? What do you think of this lady, Chelsea Gabbard? Well, I respect her very much. Boy, she I disagree sounds with her pretty on a few smart, things. though, doesn't she? Sound? I think, yes, and, and I think is most really of the worst stuff about Gabbard, her is a long time ago. And uh, and, and I definitely don't want to say anything bad about her now because I think she's reading my book. <laughs> really? I sent her one. And you know what? Good I think I you. can say that um, I, I gave this two-hour-long speech about Russia and Ukraine yeah. to the Libertarian Party of Utah. I saw that. Ago. That's what it, it prompted yeah. me to, to have you on. Yeah. Somebody, oh, great, great. A listener sent so, me that. Yeah. Oh, great. So I, I uh, and, and people might, that's sort of like my full version of it sort of thing. And people can read that article. It's at antiwar.com slash Scott. It's the last article I wrote okay. there at antiwar.com slash Scott. And um, I sent that to her and she read it and said that she liked it a lot. So um, I invited her on my show. I don't know if she'll do it or not, oh, but this she, is the first she, time she I've really reached out to her. She communicated? She, she read your book? Yeah. So now I wrote about her in the book and I criticized her lightly in the book, but very respectfully. But we do have disagreements about some things, but... um. But I, I think it would be. Um, I think they do. Trump there's Gabbard, anyone you know, who could possibly have, primary Biden and Harris, it would be her. Oh, she could. How about Trump Gabbard? I mean, you talk about. Whoa! I mean, come on. That's not going to happen. No, because but, she's too. She's too much of a leftist on too many yeah, things. She's too many lefties. She couldn't yeah. fit in the Republican Party, and he could never be a Democrat. Yeah. Um, but if it was, if it was, uh, her versus him. Really, her versus DeSantis, I think, would be the best for the country. But, you know, I'll go ahead and leave you with this. I've been joining the Libertarian Party lately, and there's a whole brand new wave going on of hmm. uh, uh, the new generation taking over the Libertarian Party. And um, we're very determined to run my friend Dave Smith, the great New York comedian. Don't know the president, him. Don't know. Yeah. And we should get him on the we show. We want to make something the yeah. size of the Ron Paul revolution out of it. We want to make something real special out of it. And our best case scenario, 
would be Biden or Harris, either way, versus Trump. Um, and we could make such hay out of that. Oh, my God. More hay than all the fields in Texas. Now, what, um, what, would that, uh, what would that team be again? I, I missed that. If it was if it was Biden or Harris, you know, even if Biden steps down, it's Harris on the left side, oh God, either way, please. and Trump on the other side. No, yeah. That would be the best case scenario for our guy. But what's really would be the best case scenario for the country would be Gabbard on the Democrat side versus DeSantis on the Republican side. DeSantis is very much a hawk on foreign policy, but I do got to, we all got to give him credit for oh, his he's heroic doing some cool stand stuff. over the COVID Man, stuff. he's doing so yeah. cool. He's doing and some I think, great stuff. Yeah. yeah. So if those two run, that would be, but now look, for Gabbard to, to win the Democratic nomination would require a miracle. I mean, the Democratic Party has it in for her so bad oh, and they yeah. have such negative narratives about her. What she would have to do to beat those narratives down and be seen, not by centrists and libertarians and conservatives, but to be seen by liberal Democrats and progressives as one of them again, I just, I can't imagine but what she would she, have to do. The only place I've seen her is every now and then a listener sends, sends me a clip of her and Tucker because I don't watch yep. TV either. I don't even have one. Yeah, because they won't let her on MSNBC. Yeah, but she's good. I mean, she, she's got the yeah. stuff, man. She's got the juice, doesn't she? I mean, she really yeah. she really handles her stuff well. And look, she's a she's an active duty lieutenant colonel of course. in the Hawaii National yeah, Guard right now. Yeah. She continues yeah. to deploy. She's a ranking officer. But I, so they I'm keep little, calling her un, uh, unpatriotic, and it's like she's a lieutenant colonel in the military I'm right now. What do you mean she's unpatriotic? This whole media thing, as you know, I've been in media 55 years. Oh, man, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Patrick. I got to run. But, so, so right why, the, but I just want to leave you with this. You oh. know, the, the new media that's exploding all over the world is, is going to be a hope for like people like you and I and whatever you want to do. I mean, I saw a video last night quickly of a lady who's giving uh, this lecture on the vagus nerve, and she's got more hits than, than CNN gets in one night. You know what I'm saying? Right. So it's like, right. it's like I got to go to Scott. Antiwar. Okay. Thank you so com. much, man. I missed you. It's great to talk to you. I again. love you, brother. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. You too. You bye. take care. Of Thanks, yourself. everybody. Okay, bye bye. He's a, he's a, what a trip, huh? Yeah, I was watching this uh, thing last night. We went two hours with him, and uh, um, so I'm watching this really cool video about the you know how to to stimulate the vagus nerve which is really a cool thing to do because it just relaxes you and all that and you can use that before meditating or go to sleep and stuff like that and so this lady's got like one and a half million hits on this video views which is like twice the audience that cnn gets you know their their biggest show at, at night three times so um i don't even know I don't want to go with that or no place, but it's just interesting. I mean, things are changing. A lot of cool stuff's happening, so whatever. Well, he was a ball of fire, right? Had a good time talking to him. So I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Boy, I'm a little hungry here. It's time to get some food. So I love you guys. Thank you. We're going to do a whole show about uh, uh, with a fellow from Gold Money from Switzerland tomorrow. Tomorrow? And that'll be at 10 o'clock Central Time, okay? So, thanks for your ongoing support. A couple days left on the sale for um, Colostrum. Restore 20. 20% off is the promo code. 
We have the ongoing sale right now. Uh, we're going to see how long we can run it with uh, uh, AquaCure 20% promo code One Radio. We've got great products with Shen Blossom, Blue Shield, Arsona, Sulfur. I didn't even mention. You know, we have so many really wonderful products. Uh, so just go on our website if you'd like to support us and click around on that, you know, on the store and also on that, you know, the top right or the far right column. Click on there and see if you see some things that, uh, you know, something that you might want to purchase. And that's how uh, we make our house payment. That's how we do it. Pretty cool, huh? All right. Love you all. Thank you. May the blessings be. We'll see you tomorrow, Wednesday, on the uh, 30th of March at 10 o'clock with a fellow from Gold Money out of Switzerland. You take care of yourself, and uh, thanks for being here. Bye. From the Hill Country in Texas, this is OneRadioNetwork.com.